0: Are you feeling lucky this St. Patrick's Day? Easy Living Furniture has a pot of gold waiting for you. With absolutely everything reduced across sofa, dining, bedroom, mattress and accessories. Get the three-seater dark grey harper sofa for only $459. Donut 240cm dining table for only $289 and much more. Don't miss out on these lucky savings at Easy Living Furniture.
1: Find your local store online at easylivingfurniture.ie
0: if you or a loved one gets hurt you'll want a faster road to recovery at Leia Healthcare's urgent care clinics you'll be seen by a consultant led team in 60 minutes or less for injuries including breaks, burns and buh-bumps switch now at Leiahealthcare.ie. always a beat ahead for you and your family with urgent care in 60 minutes or less Insurance provided by Elips Insurance Limited trading as Leia Healthcare. Leia Healthcare Limited trading as Leia Healthcare and Leia Life is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Urgent care clinics available to all aged 12 months and over. Well-being benefits available to Leia Healthcare members.
1: A warning about today's podcast. It contains topics that some people may find distressing. Today on the Indo-Daily... Shot at 16, interned at 19, and dead at 64. GAA legend Philly McMahon on his inspiration, his dad. The concluding episode. Yesterday we heard how Philly's dad's shooting by the British Army at the age of 16 had deeply shaped his life and almost took it. I think there was a
0: sniper on Divis Flats shooting down at the Brits and then there was a volley of shots aimed down towards where he was with some friends. He got shot in the stomach. He looked down and his whole stomach was hanging out and when he was touching go, yeah.
1: Today we hear what life was like on the run and the risks that Philly and his dad took to return to Belfast on a regular basis.
0: You know, when we were young like I used to go up the north every second weekend and he'd travel up with me. I'd have to call him Frank. He was my uncle.
1: Was his father ever able to live a normal life knowing he was a wanted man?
0: You know, because ultimately he sacrificed, and all of his friends and comrades sacrificed his life, but also the things that we take for granted in our everyday life, he never had.
1: And while Philly's sporting career went from strength to strength, the does blow the it's all over. his personal life was tested.
0: It was a blow. I was going training, but like I didn't want to be there just wanted to spend as much time as I could with him because I knew time was running out. Can Philly accept that there were innocent people murdered by the provisional
1: IRA and that it can't all be written off against defending the community?
0: I certainly need to understand a lot more from both sides, to be honest. I would have, obviously, a bias towards my dad's history and his involvement. And what next
1: for the sporting hero? Could it be a move into politics...
0: I've been asked a lot. I've been asked to go for the next general election.
1: I'm Fiona Sheehan, and today on the Indo Daily, we conclude our two part special with Dubs legend and Irish independent columnist Philly McMahon to look at how his life was shaped by events in Northern Ireland while he lived in Dublin's Ballymun. In the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of controversy about extradition, and we had a lot of anti extradition marches in Dublin uh, quite frequently. Did your father always feel that he was under threat and was he always kind of waiting for the knock on the door and the guards to arrest him and extradite him back up the north?
0: Yeah, like one of the big things we always had a discussion about was obviously the Good Friday Agreement where the Republicans and the Loyalists that were imprisoned were, were let go and there was a pardon, let's say. He would have had friends post the Good Friday Agreement that would have been picked up and arrested. We never traveled abroad because of his passport, like, you know. We always wanted to go over to Scotland and like he was an Everton fan and a Celtic fan so we always wanted to go over to watch Celtic and I always, come on we go over, especially when I was older and especially when he was ill, I said come on we get over and watch a Celtic match you know and he just just couldn't. He was at that age where it being habitually built into him to be paranoid about the travel side of things but I suppose when I was very young I, I didn't see any of that. You know it was only when I got older and he got older we were aware of how paranoid he was of it. When we were young, like I used to go up to the north every second weekend, and now who would you go up with? With him. With him. So, despite being on the run from the
1: north, he would—he was still going up and down oh, yeah. across the
0: border. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He travelled up with me. I'd have to call him Frank. who was my uncle. It was an incredible experience at a young age, travelling into certain parts through the train, and you see the the British army getting on and stuff like that. I would have been at a certain age that I would have realised his situation, and I would have—that would have been daunting. Was he paranoid on a daily basis or was it just about travel? No, definitely not on a daily basis. Like when he was at home in Dublin, in Ballymount, there was no issue. When he was going up the north, it was an issue when he was travelling, but not when you got up there. Because he knew where to go, like, you know, anywhere he he was bringing me, he was welcomed with open arms anywhere he went, and it was incredible. Like, you know, any pub he'd go into. Those days he'd kids in the pub and they'd all meet, all his friends would meet and They'd celebrate him being up there like you know but he'd only be there for a couple of hours and he had to be gone in case someone says here he's he's up here somebody S- says, yeah. get him get him you know
1: S- somebody said yeah yeah
0: yeah there are special times to look back upon and say you know when people celebrate you arriving back into the community you must have done something positive for the community albeit maybe it being in the grand scheme of things societally it's probably bad but they would have felt this person coming into back into our area as a hero, as someone that was brave, someone that supported us, and little things that the people used to do. They used to like give him a few bob. You know, he never had to put his hand in his pocket when he was up there. And you know, because ultimately he sacrificed and all of his friends and comrades sacrificed his life, but also the things that we take for granted in our everyday life he never had. He he couldn't have to a certain extent. Because, like, I mean, he, he just couldn't go and, and visit his mum. Like, you know, they have to be organised to, you know, to meet them somewhere. Because, especially early on, there would have been special branch watching to see so was surveillance. with all those yeah, happening and what's be, happening? Where's his family? Where is he going to visit his family? All those things, you know, when he had family members that were ill. Again, those little things that we just take for granted nowadays. He would have struggled to do that, and especially let's let's look at it from from an age point of view. He was still quite young; his life was directed completely for him after certain events. Do you believe now that
1: his life and his quality of life it had an impact upon his health, and and ultimately, did he effectively live in ill health all all at that time because of? injuries he, he sustained, the actual acute challenges that that must have in your mental health as well in terms of being constantly uh, watch, watching your back.
0: Was his health shaped then, do you believe, by by events in Northern Ireland? He was a father that at stages I was embarrassed about in terms of getting up and dancing on a dance floor like every young kid is because he loved dance music, right? So at the, in his 60s he was up dancing around with my mates and my mates loved him for that and I was like the typical you know, son of going, oh, will you sit down, stop dancing. So he was a very young, uh, in, in his own mind, he was very humorous, but he was also very active and he wasn't very unhealthy in terms of his, his body shape, you know, his physical profile, but there's definitely, his mental health was impacted massively from the troubles, massively, like, you know, struggled with depression a lot. He had no way of understanding how to deal with trauma from what, he experienced you're shot in the stomach at 16 you just put that a kid from down south now imagine a kid now being shot in the stomach at 16 what psychological supports would he get you know he'd had none of that because he couldn't avail of any of it because he'd be known to authorities you know so he had to get on with that he had to deal with that the way he dealt with it unfortunately was depression you know so he he would have fell into deep depression and a couple of days later he was fine you know He'd go to bed and he'd work hard, and that's that's that was his way. That was the old school way. And I'm, you know, a couple of other relatives that have struggled with the troubles over the years, and it's very similar pattern. Like, you know, there's a lot of support. Some people might argue that there's there's the supports up there now from from the point of view of the troubles and the people that have experienced the troubles, but that doesn't travel down south. You know, for people that were on their own, and he would have struggled a lot with that. Tell us
1: about his cancer diagnosis.
0: He was struggling with his stomach and he built up this complex with doctors because every time he was going to doctors, they were like, okay, take a tablet for your nerves, take a tablet for you to sleep, struggled with sleeping. And he'd always, like, constantly ask for them. And uh, a particular doctor would have got to a point where they're like, no, you're just kind of addicted to these kind of tablets that you need to take. And he's like, no, I actually need these. I'm in pain all the time. So, he built up a bit of a complex with with doctors, and one day he was in agony. He went into into, into the hospital, and he got blood tests done, and they said, "Look, um, we've done everything. We'll, we'll we'll send you the blood tests back." And he went back home, and then a couple of months later, he was really really bad again, and we went to a, a different hospital with him. There was a nurse there actually, and the nurse said, he "said Get this man morphine." He's in terrible pain, we need to do, do tests on him straight away, got the tests and came back You're terminally ill, stage four with, uh, with cancer in the stomach. He was never going to uh, be able to differentiate the normal pain, as I said, to this cancer now, you know. So we don't know how long he had the cancer, but obviously he had a good while for it to get to the stage of stage four. Again for me, my dad in a way didn't die of cancer. He kind of he obviously did die of cancer, but he died of poverty in many ways because if my dad had private health insurance or he went privately in terms of scans and stuff like that, maybe, maybe, just maybe, uh, he would have been caught in time in terms of what stage he was at. Like, so you asked about was physical health and being shot had an, an impact? It definitely did. Like, because all of those little pieces, all those little variables, fed to the to the stage where he was terminally ill and he died.
1: And Dublin are still the champions. It's six in a row. He passed away in 2018. You're at the absolute peak of your powers uh, in terms of your GA career. You're going for the, the historic five in a row. It uh, goes on to become come six in a row. You've, you've won eight All-Irelands. Dublin, arguably the greatest football group ever to play this game. They may How were you coping at, at that point so on the one hand in your in your sporting career you were about to achieve something that, that no other team had done before and then in your private life you've got your your, your dad being ill and you're, you're probably
0: aware he was going to die at that stage. Mm. It was extremely difficult to be honest. It was a blow. I was going training but like I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be there and uh, I suppose I just wanted to spend as much time as I could with him because I knew... Time was running out. I think he was given six months and he, and he lasted 12 months. A few months into the diagnosis of him being terminally ill, there was a stage where he was, he was fatiguing, and the family said, Right, okay, maybe rest boy is is a good option here. So he went in and he was there for a couple of days and he was amazing from it. Like he, St. Francis Hospice in Blanchestown, they were, oh my God, they were unbelievable for him because he came out of that. And we were all asked, you know, second guessing, going to go, what is going on here? Like, you know, his energy is unbelievable. He's, doesn't, he doesn't look like somebody's just going to pass it anytime soon. I was playing football, I didn't want to be there, and it got to a stage where I had to kind of flip me thinking to, do you know what, instead of thinking that way, think the more I... I'm um, there playing and the more I'm helping my team possibly get to you know, the latter stages of the All-Ireland and possibly win it, the more energy I can give them. That was the motivation for me that year. It wasn't really to win an All-Ireland, it was more so to give him energy. That was another big learning from me in terms of my sporting career, That, whether it was my first year or my last year. you know, When you play sport, when you put that jersey on, whatever county jersey that may be, you're lifting somebody. You know, you're giving someone, you know, these emotions that can help them another day. So, 2017 was his last All Ireland that he's seen, you know. And he was in the stand. That he was that, there that last year. Yeah, we bet my in the All Ireland final, and I remember because he'd normally come down towards the the end of the stand where the Harden is, and he'd because uh, he's you know I would have seen him and. People would have known him as a tough man, like you know, with the adversity he went through. But very rarely would cry, you know. But uh, he was bought baw- every every year we won. <laughs> you'd see him down there crying his eyes out. So that was my chance to build up a little bit of uh, army to slag him that he was crying. You know that he's that type of traditional person like that. Uh, I could have the banter, with him then after a few tears, you know. But that year, I actually had to go up to him in the stand uh, because he was too ill to come down. So. I had to jump over the fence and go up the, the stairs to to where he was sitting. And I'm sure there was Mayo fans looking at me going, you know, I'll give him a few digs on the way up the stairs. But uh, yeah, that was special. That was a special time. I think we got to the, possibly it was the league final or the Leinster final of the following year was a realisation that, you know, this is it. Like, you know, because we brought him onto the pitch after I don't know if it was the league final or Leinster final, but we brought him onto the pitch after the game. It was lovely. It was myself, my mum, my sister, Uh, my cousin was there with his wife, and we just walked around Crow Park, the stadium was empty, and at that stage we knew, right, okay, you know, this is the last time he'll get a chance to walk onto Crow Park. That must have been the league, and I think the I think that was the Leinster final possibly where I played and then I got a phone call after that. My mum said, Oh, we had to go early so he, he was walking in he was starting to lose his balance a little bit and he fell and uh, it was quite sunny that day as well I think so they were trying to keep him out of the sun but he, he left at half time you know and at that stage you know when he, when he was falling and stuff like that then we knew he was getting weaker you know
1: You seem to be somebody who on the one hand you're, you're achieving sporting greatness and yet on the other hand there's, there's trauma in your life and I suppose the same thing happened to you back at, at the beginning of, of Dublin's great run, so you win in 2011, you're 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 replacing the, the the great James McCarthy, in, in that, the great Philly yeah. McMahon is replacing the great James <laughs> McCarthy. and what a what a squad to have, no real sort of chance. And then you're winning again in, in, in 2013, and your brother then passes away in 2012. And again, was it difficult for you to focus on sport
0: when that's going on in your in your family? When, when when John passed away I remember getting the phone call off like my sister then gave me the message that John had passed and I was doing personal training with a guy and then I went what's going on here like you know so I walked, got into the car, drove down towards Ballymone and just at the M50 roundabout there in Ballymone I actually went completely around the roundabout and back up and then I went back into the gym and your man was just kind of coming out and he was like, "Is everything all right? Like you just left." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's grand." And then I got another phone call, and I was like, "No, this is not happening." Like you know, so I was in a total shock. Like you know, get in the car, went down to the house. Everybody was in the house and uh, inconsolable as, as you could imagine. And uh, I opened the door, seen everybody to the left, and I went, "Oh my god, I can't go in there." Went straight up the stairs, you know. So that was a a different kind of experienced to my dad because my dad didn't die all of a sudden there was a time frame you know so when John passed uh, we had to travel over to the UK to get him to bring him back he lived in London at the time it was difficult at that stage because you were educated that if you had a, a friend or a family or somebody in a community that was someone that was struggling with drug addiction with the stigma and shame you, you, you treated them a certain way and I always remember, you know, after big games or after games in general, family members of my teammates in the banquet or in the hotel, you know, and I'd always like, just love to bring me brother here. Like, you know, I'd love them to experience this. And I I suppose I always had this wrong education that like, I'd be embarrassed to bring my brother here, like, you know, which is, which is bullshit in, in hindsight. Like, you know, no family is perfect. No individual is perfect either. Like, so after us winning the All-Ireland in 2011 John had said I'm going to come home for the 20 if you get to the All-Ireland final we're in the All-Ireland semi-final at this stage if you get to the All-Ireland final I'm coming home I oh, says, right grand and as if I'm being honest I had one eye and on kind of going what kind of shape is he in and on your hand I was like I'd love him to be there we got beaten in the semi-final that was that was that in 2012 by, by Mayo and then a few weeks later on the 7th of September, a couple of days after my birthday, John passed away. So he died from a heart and arrhythmia. Um, he was about four or five days away from going into rehabilitation to come off methadone as well. So he'd wrote me a letter. He'd wrote me within my birthday card, and he'd said, look, this is it, I'm going to do it. I'm ready to to change, come off methadone. He'd been off heroin. And uh, my mum had been saying a few months before, prior to that, you know, she was going to bring him home, and I was like if you bring him home like he's going to be around the same lads and he's going to take drugs again and we're probably going to kill him because we're aiding his, his addiction again in hindsight it was our poor education on, on, on addiction none of this means we were going to save John but ultimately if we had John within our grasp let's say of being able to travel to him or to see his URI right, or maybe being around him days prior to party before he, before he passed, we would have been able to maybe make an impact, but we didn't. And again, hindsight is great, but it's it didn't happen. And John passed away at the age of 31, yeah. Politics. Any interest down the line? I've been asked a lot. I've been asked to go for the next general election. I've been asked, you know, I've been asked to, previous years I've been asked to get involved in different, and, and, and it just, for me, I'd like to think if I got into politics that I'd have more restraints to what I do socially. Uh, I'm only a small fish in the pond in terms of certain topics in society, but whatever I can do to make a difference, I will, you know. I hope... There's big changes coming in terms of our drugs policy. I'm involved in the Advisory group for the Citizens Assembly that's going on at the minute so I'm hoping that we will see a big change there because that's going to have a huge impact societally in, in Ireland. For me the crucial part is when you leave this planet what do you leave behind you and not even so much from a, a legacy point of view but also from the energy of giving people what you've done. If you've got the opportunity to do that, take it you know. So John gave me that opportunity with a Porbus when he passed, and that's the most for me. Again, in my opinion, it's it's the most powerful thing you can you can have. By the way, which party? Oh, I can't tell you that. <laughs> but I was privileged to be asked, and I wouldn't be disrespectful by saying them. That's fine. You're you're very much somebody
1: who is is shaped by your community, your your background, your own family uh, experience. And your view of the Troubles is obviously through the prism of of your dad and, and, and your dad's e- experience. Do you accept the other side of the argument about the Troubles, though, and, and the provisional IRA campaign? That there was a lot of murder, there was a lot of atrocities, there was a lot of killings. I, I just noticed at the weekend, uh, Colin Parry, his son uh, Tim, was killed 30 years ago this year in a, in a bomb in, in Warrington outside Liverpool. He was only a few years older than you. Another boy was killed that day. It was only three, Jonathan Ball again, only a couple of years younger than you. It was the day before Mother's Day. Inexplicable why that that, that tragedy uh happened. Do you accept that there was uh innocent people murdered by the provisional IRA and that and that it can't all be, be written off against defending the community? Or what's your take on it?
0: i certainly need to understand a lot more from from both sides to be honest uh, I, I, like i mean i would have obviously a bias towards you know my dad's understandable I, yeah. uh, history and and his involvement so that's just me being honest but i've always been educated on both sides in terms of uh, i think that was a crucial part that my dad educated me on and as i said the crucial part for him was like it was, the, it was the one liner that always stuck at me. It shouldn't have happened. None of it should have happened. And today, you could give numerous examples of atrocities on both sides, and across the water as well, and down here, in terms of Dublin and Monaghan bombings and stuff like that. You know, it doesn't progress where we should be in terms of peace. You know, and and that was the crucial part from my, my dad. Like. If I came to my dad tomorrow and said, I want to join the provisional IRA, he'd be the first one to say here, no, not a chance, you know, um, from what happened and what went on. He would have had to live with some of the things he did, and that certainly impacted his mental health and his physical health, and I'm sure the victims of the troubles likewise. And you have to be very respectful of all aspects and stakeholders of of what happened. But I'll go back to that line, none of it should have happened. Diversity should be a power, not a weakness, in this in this island, and I think that's going to be very, very important over the next couple of years when we talk about the possible change that this country might go through. I think there's complexities; it's very difficult to to get to a stage where we would be on both sides of, of the fence that you're, you're you're you know everything is equal, but at the end of the day. We shouldn't be bound by history, but we should learn from history and and, and take that forward into making everybody as equal as possible going forward. Including people from the the unionist community.
1: If if ultimately we become a united Ireland, they become citizens of of this country
0: and should be equal to everybody else. Exactly, exactly, yeah. I think it's, as I said, there's so many topics that need to be trashed out and discussed and people up the north would certainly feel like there's Possibly a, a disconnection down south and a neglect, possibly as well. You know, and I think that can also be be looked at um, with an interest. You know, because look, whether it be political agenda, whether it be propaganda over the years in terms of the the political parties that were in power versus, let's say, republican populism in terms of Sinn Féin. I think it's 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 crucial that we disconnect from that and, and realise that like, we can learn so much from the past and take this country into the future and be a special place for everybody Finally if you'd grown up in Belfast how many All-Ireland medals would you have won with Antrim? <laughs> I've always stated that uh, if I ever was to work with a team outside of Dublin would be Antrim so how many All-Irelands would I have won? Who knows but Antrim is a special place to me Leneda down in Belfast, West Belfast is a special place to me and I'll never forget my roots up there, you know, as much as I I, I love my roots at Dublin and and Ballymone, Antrim is a special place for me and uh, who knows, one day I might get a chance to to help them out do something in terms of sport. What's your family's view on you, telling your, your father's story are,
1: are they happy about it or are they, are they sens- You know, people can be sensitive about talking yeah. about, about personal issues um, you're, you're very open talking about yourself and your family background. I'm only
0: open I have to disclose I'm only open because my dad is, is no longer li- living mm. here and there's no harm can be done to him in terms of possibly being uh, arrested let's say in terms of being on the run but uh, I, I only speak about my dad because I'm proud of him I really am as I said over and over again I'm a proud son of somebody that fought for his community, beliefs and purpose. You could say his country as well, you know, to an extent. But for me, you know, I'm very proud of him and my family, especially me. my mom, she's, she's okay with me speaking about him because she feels the same way. It is very sensitive, I would imagine, for his family up the north. There is more Republicans coming out with books and other things and talking about their situations and, and their experiences but once you're not harming anybody in terms of what you do from both sides which I probably will but because of you know my feeling towards him and what he did but look I think it's important that this information is out there to help move forward and to not forget also and to be proud of certain things and possibly not other things but for me I've no problem saying that I'm a proud son of a West Belfast man who... Shot in the stomach when he was sixteen, escaped from a British prison and fought for his community and his his, his nationalist community and the people of Nenadil. Mm-hmm.
1: Does
0: that help with the reconciliation process when you're telling stories on both sides? Of the, you know, obviously we're not probably hearing the other stories down here as much from from a Unionist and Loyalist background, but. The reason why I think it helps is that, you know, you can always stem it back to a why. Why did it happen? You know, we can say we didn't, it shouldn't have happened, but you can always say why. And you can't understand the why unless you tell a story about it. Crucially, my dad had a purpose in life. His piece was around the nationalist community, Frisional IRA, mine is Ballymoon and challenging maybe neglect from political neglect or other kind of social inequalities that the community has had. So that's passed into me, that's the story I want to tell. You know, I'm not on here to boast about the actions of, you know, the the, the provisional IRA. I've never once said I'm happy that they've done this bombing or this killing or this raid or whatever it may be. I haven't said that once publicly. But the purpose behind it, the why behind it, you know, that protection piece uh, of that community is where I'll always bring it to. And as I said, the lessons that passes down into me because of that. I I hope to learn more about the other side of the story and the other side of the wall. I hope to learn more about that. But I'm very open and curious to it. And my thanks
1: to Philly McMahon. I'm Fiona Sheehan, and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by Mary Carroll and Garrett Mulhall, researched by Dave Hanratty, with sound design by John Smith. And if you've been affected by any of the topics in this podcast, just search the Irish Independent for someone to talk to. It is back to normal business tomorrow on the Indo-Daily. Don't forget to like, follow, and leave us a review.
0: Feeling lucky this St. Patrick's Day? Easy Living Furniture has a pot of gold waiting for you with absolutely everything reduced across sofa, dining, bedroom, mattress and accessories. Get the three-seater dark grey Harper sofa for only $4.59, donut 240 centimetre dining table for only two eight nine, dollars and much more. Don't miss out on these lucky savings at Easy Living Furniture. Find your local store online at
1: easylivingfurniture.ie.